0: Hi, I'm Jeff Brazier, and
1: this is the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. I'm Luke Edwards. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. Last week with Ian Everett, we got a fantastic response to that. Loads of, of good comments as well. Everyone's saying how good Ian Everett was, was on it. Didn't mention how good we were, but there we go. <laughs> we'll include ourselves in that, but everyone was saying how good it was. But it was a fantastic listen. And uh, joining myself, Luke Edwards, is Rob Worrell, as always. Hello, Rob.
2: Hi, Luke. Hi, guys.
1: And uh, we've got a full house this week, so we've got Dickie Wharton as well, who's in his spare room.
2: I am. Good afternoon. Nice to
3: speak to you again. Is are uh, your we're... onesie
2: in the background today? <laughs> Oh, I, Yeah, I wish I should have moved that to one side, shouldn't I? <laughs> but i in my background's not hitting it in well enough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all in vision. We can all see each other now. And we've also got uh, Chris Pratt, um, who's in vision once again and looking out over the Derbyshire countryside. Yeah, good morning, guys. And we've also got Tom Lange, he's in lockdown and he's got a lockdown beard and hair, hello Tom.
0: Hello, how's everyone doing? <laughs>
1: Thank you. And uh, not a bookcase in sight normally when you see these people in vision, we've got, they've got bookcases behind them, not a bookcase in sight thankfully. And, and, and our special guest, we had the manager who's top of the league last week, we've got the manager who's in second in the National League as it currently stands, it's Simon Weaver from Harrogate Town, hello Simon.
4: Hello, good afternoon, hi lads.
1: First of all, uh, how are you, Simon? How how is the family and how's yourself?
4: Yeah, we're very well, thankfully. Um, It's been just a a crazy time, hasn't it, you know, in the outside world. And uh, just to be coming through at the minute okay, Um, uh, you know, and being in regular touch with all our relatives, not least uh, my mum and dad just down the road, making sure they're okay, obviously, is uh, our primary concern at the minute. And thankfully, we're all all right.
1: Yeah, obviously. Uh, how's the cooking going? Because we saw in the documentary a couple of years ago or last year, and, and you were you doing a lot in the kitchen, weren't you? Have you, have you been cutting? Um,
4: well, been I wouldn't your say a lot. I, yeah, I wouldn't say a lot. I'd say yeah, pancakes are still important to us, you know, on a Saturday morning. Um, and uh, yeah, I tried them yesterday, but I tried them with a bit of a difference. Um, I've been watching a little bit more. Television in this lockdown, and and James Martin's been on, and he he, he uh, I, I've tried thinner pancakes, what you'd you'd find uh, on on holiday abroad, and the kid, it went down okay with the kids, but there were just uh, there were fewer pancakes, but but they were bigger and uh, and thinner, and um, yes, they were quite quite tasty, I have to say.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, moving on to the football, obviously, you, you, Harrogate Town, Manager you've been there for eleven years now, and you've had a long association with the club as a player. And a manager and it's been a it's been an up and down ride at times, hasn't it?
4: Yeah, it has, it has, and yeah, now now the season's well, pretty much uh, been concluded. We think uh, eleven up, it's um you, you start you can actually reflect and it, it's time to draw breath a little bit um, because it has been yeah, it's been some ride, it's you know, and you can see that when I look at images of myself eleven years ago, you know, it's it's aged me somewhat, but um I've I've loved it and I've loved the the trajectory we've you know we've we've gone on and um, and things have things have got better you know um, uh, over over that period of time and and uh, the crowds have gone up and the teams got better and the ground and facilities have got better and, and and I think the reputation locally as well so it's um it's been great it was really hard in the early days and uh, it, it's never plain sailing and football never on, runs on a straight line but. Um, I've loved it and um, you know I, I'll continue to love it
1: yeah you had to, you, when you first went in I think you were getting crowds like three four hundred you're averaging around fifteen sixteen hundred now And we, we talk about the 3G pitches that's helped a lot hasn't it not only mm-hmm. with getting the crowds and you get games on but getting the community involved
4: I, I, to be honest I think uh, when we did um, surmise that we, we thought yeah we, we need a change you know we need to really make an impact locally um, we, ha- we do think it it really launched the club, you know, and um, we've got young and old play on the pitch. Um, it's been great to build it up as a sporting hub within our community. And, you know, it was it was the right decision at the right time for us.
1: Yeah. And and, and as, oh, I'll, I'll start again. <laughs> and the season so far is uh, it's, it's been pretty good. It must be frustrating. Obviously, we all understand why it's been stopped. But it must be frustrating that it stopped when it did because you're on a real flyer and, and on Barrow's coattails, weren't you?
4: Yeah, it, it, it has been frustrating, but, um, I just think from my point of view anyway, we just, just felt a bit stunned at the whole pa- pandemic, you know, and, and looking on the news uh, a lot of hours of the day, um, it's eclipsed my mindset. I'm sure everyone else is in football. So, you know, um, that's taken a back seat, but obviously, you, you know, you have to keep tabs on, on your profession and what's going off. Um, but it's, Yeah, we were in a good position, you know, and um, we we, uh, were due to travel down to Solihull. I think it was the first game that got called off in English football um, and we had the coach ready. But one player had gone down and felt like he had symptoms um, resembling coronavirus. And we had to make that decision, and we we got called out a bit you know, by some <laughs> Solihull fans at the time, I think, thinking that we were throwing it because they signed a good centre forward on the day. But I think there were there were bigger things that that were looming large, um, and uh, I'm glad we took the decision not to travel that day.
0: I mean, I think uh, we're definitely going to want to to pick your brains a bit and get your opinions on um, on how you think the the pandemic is going to affect the league and what your views on on how it should continue are. Um, but just looking at football pre pandemic first. Um, you know, Barrow have had an incredible season, but your side are only four points behind. Over the last ten games, you've dropped seven points; they've dropped twelve. Um, what was the mood in the camp like? Did you did you genuinely feel that you could go on and, and get that title?
4: Well, yes, yeah, we did. We um, we were right in the uh, shirt tails, and and we were we were due to play them at home on a Tuesday night, um, and we've been strong at home. I mean we've been strong away, but you know really strong at home and uh we we've had the energy in the camp to to really kick on um it's all words right now because it's been you know now we've got a new finishing line but um and we respect what Ian's done, and you know he was listening li- I was listening to you know your podcast with him last week he certainly knows you know his stuff and and knows what they're about but um We'd like to think we do, and and we're, we're a strong outfit that have done well over a period of time now. And we've got our way of, of playing, and we've got a strong mindset, and and that comes from the group of players we've got, and they're just a delight to to work and um, and coach, you know, and they're, they're um they bring great energy to the pitch, and I just think, yeah, we could well have pipped them to the post, but uh, you know we. Uh, we were definitely up for the job.
3: Simon, uh, Dickie did a bit of background work prior to having you on today. And uh, one of the things that he, he just got together and, and, and shared around the group was your running. And uh, if you don't mind me saying, it was a stinker of a running you had. You had some yeah. very, very tough games. And of course, the, uh, the, the two-legged uh, semi-final against Notts County in the FA Trophy as well.
4: Oh, I know. I mean, yeah. We like, we like to say, just call it interesting running. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was... Um, it was something to, we, we've really embraced the league. We went up last year, you know, and, and finished sixth, and we enjoyed going to the big grounds. And, um, it was a far cry from National League North, no disrespect to it, but it was, it was great and it was exciting. And uh, the increased crowds and atmospheres were, were brilliant, and we've all enjoyed doing that. And then we've taken it on another level in terms of performance this year, but we were, we were licking our lips at, at, hopefully having more scalps. I mean, we, we'd just been to Chesterfield and won and I know they they were, uh, Pem, John Pemberton has done a fantastic job but um, they were still around the bottom third but it's still a good place to go to in midweek and, and win 3-2, uh, sorry, 4-3 in the end. Mm. Um, but we have been to Barrow and, and, and we played at uh, uh, at Yeovil and, and, and won away from home at places like that. So, you know, the lads, when you're searching still for you're hoping that the players are still Not running out of adrenaline on the stretch, you know, on the running and, and the bigger the games, we just felt that the lads were really up for them because they're proving a point. You know, we're, we're not a massive name in the game. And, um, you know, lads had played, largely played at the level below and they were just really enjoying, enjoying the moment. But yeah, they were difficult games. Don't get me wrong.
5: Just to, just on the trophy, uh, Simon, what an appetising tie that was when that came out of the hat as well. And, uh, I mean, no disrespect to the two sides in the other semi as well. You, if, you do, if you could get past Knox County, you had a you had a real chance at Wembley.
4: Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we were um, slightly disappointed when the draw um, <laughs> was made and we got Knox County in, in the semi-final with a bit of a blow. Um, but... Not that we, we were going into it with a lack of confidence. We, we just, because, because we thought, you know, they're, they're really ju- two juicy ties to look forward to and good crowds as well. You know, our place was selling out fast and Notts County fans are tremendous, aren't they? They travel, you know, in, in, the droves and, and we were looking forward to experience down there, but, um, not, not an easy game, but something again with Wembley at the end of it, um, to look forward to, you know, if we were looking enough to go through.
3: I think also, Simon, just to add to that, um, not so much having to get past Notts County, but, you know, uh, romantically you'd have looked at those last four and thought, what a cracking final that would have made for well, Notts County, know. you know, and their support. It would have uh, gone a long way to creating a great atmosphere at Wembley, along with your own fans, if, if you got them.
4: Well, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, their their average attendance is there for everyone to, to, to see. And they... Um, To go to Wembley as well, I'm sure the Notts County faithful would have taken thousands upon thousands. And, you know, and I think that there's a growing interest in Harrogate. We're we're still an emerging team, but um, they would have 100% having Notts County in a final um, would have made for a a, a superb atmosphere, yeah.
1: You mentioned about you had your taste of it last year, finished six, went out in the the super playoff, the playoff eliminator, whatever it's called, and then you had a slow start to this season. We we didn't really mention you until sort of January, February time, and you, you just gradually went up the table, didn't you? Do you think the playoff? You had a bit of a hangover from the playoff last year. Um,
4: I think I think it was a bit of trying times. You know, at the club. Um, uh, over the summer, um, we did send a statement out where we increased slightly the um, the season ticket prices, and um, it didn't go down too well and perhaps we've learned from the from the statement that was made and you know it's it's all about communicating and and, and um, understanding everyone's points of view so I think we've learned from the experience and it've got a closer bond with the fans now but at the time uh, because of the undeniable link between chairman and manager at our club um, it kind of the feeling of animosity there was a feeling of animosity um, towards uh the club, you know, and, and then it, it filtered onto the pitch and it felt lo- less like we'd had a good season the previous season and more, more like actually you, you've just sold Callum Howe for 40 grand, um, and you've, you know, you've increased sales and the message is sustainability. Now, you know, maybe now sustainability everyone would take, you know, just to get all the, all the teams back, you know, playing football and, and, and save fans financially. But, you know, we, we do think it's important to be sustainable. The, the reason for selling Callum wasn't to, to make it as sustainable. Um, and the intention was just to compete, you know, with some really big clubs at our level. But the way we communicated it wasn't too great. And we can see why we upset a few. Um, that probably led to a slow start. Um, and we were we got players in new, in positions that were new to our league again, especially at the back, three new defenders. Um, but they were young, and we knew they'd learn. And they came through and have been flying since September when we beat Halifax away. And that was a real line in the sand, you know. The game before against Maidenhead, we were atrocious, but after that, we've we, we've um, got stronger and stronger.
2: Yes, yeah, Simon, so, mean, you you said there about the. Um, uh, you know they trying to engage the local community there and, and about attendances and and yeah. how sensitive that's perhaps been at times how how hard has it been to 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 build that following for, for harrogate in in the town itself because it's a it's better known probably for betty's tea rooms than for having a football club yeah. you know up to a few years ago how hard's that been to sort of get you get yourself established in the town
4: yeah i think um probably harder than uh, most towns you know where uh, um there's there's a lot of distractions and you 've got to you've got to earn earn that interest really from from the public um because they 've got a lot of distractions it's a lovely area um and there's a there's a lot of football interest but it's it was in a lot of york city fans in within Harrogate and more Leeds fans than not you know um and so it 's only a short distance away from Leeds. So you're competing with all that. And so we needed something to, to really attract them to the club. And um, I do think it, it, it does stem from a couple of good runs, you know, in the playoffs and FA Cup, yeah. But the participation of sport in, in our area was this sporting hub at the ground. And then they got drawn to the team and that aligned with success on the pitch. Um, it's been like a magnet for them. And that's why they suddenly thought, actually, there's a nice feel about it, you know we like coming down to our local club. there's a bit of pride involved, and then more and more school kids have been seen wearing the yellow and black of Harrogate town then rather than um, you know higher up the football ladder.
2: Sure, you I mean you clearly had a um you know a wider strategy then with you know as you say turning the club into a community focus and i know you do things like is it your physiotherapist is actually available for members of the public to come in as well things like that
4: well yes the year before we went full-time um we uh we laid out the pitch the 3g pitch and then halfway through that season we had a a series of meetings and you know one of which was to propose to go full-time and how would it look you know and um so i had to go away and budget for everything and, and have a look at how it, how it would look and how I'd pay for the staff and, and uh, I had a meeting with Rachel who's immense. I mean, she's also do, uh, travels up as a, a kit lady as well. So, um, but she's got her own um, clinic at the ground. So it, that's how it's helped to pay her wage. So um, is it, we run it as a tight ship, but we're very close knit, everyone, and everyone's valued because they're working so hard to make it work. And when you're talking about the wider community, we had to do that, not just because of the intent was to get the feel good factor, but to get the numbers in, in the ground, you know, and the, uh, bottoms and seats, you know, we need, we needed to look ahead and it's okay being aspirational and chasing that goal. But if you haven't got fans and you haven't got enough fans, then it's a hollow feel. And, you know, we, we didn't want that. We wanted people with us for an atmosphere. Um, and, and also, to make it work financially, because we didn't we do not want to recruit so many players from higher up towards the end of their career, not given the uh, prerequisite in terms of you know the the energy and desire. Um, we wanted young, hungry animals that would attract people to watch it, and then they would come on and, and pay for season tickets, and they'd be they're very interested in in following our team, and and that's what we've that's what we've got now. But we need to keep getting better. In order to get more fans to to be able to be a football league club.
5: And talking of a football league club, Simon, I mean this is a this is the topic of the moment, and it feels like it's been dragging on for ages. And I mean, are we getting closer? I think we're getting closer to, to, to some sort of decision. Um, mm. Well, I mean, what do you think should happen to the season, the rest <laughs> of the season? Should it? You know? Um,
4: yeah, it's two options on the table. Yeah, I mean it's been quite a long drawn out process and it must be a thankless task being you know the part of the the leadership of the National League. Um and I don't want to be sat here, you know, pointing the finger at people because this is unprecedented times and health is more at stake. But you know, we we've just wanted the season not to be after eighty percent of games have been played, to be called null and void. You know, and for it just to be diminished, you know, and and gone from the history books. Um, of course, you know, well, like we're voting on and, on the suggestion of playoffs, postponing it now or cancelling it. Well, we'd rather we'd rather postpone it. We ought, we know it's going to be difficult to to play in them, just to see if we can you see light at the end of the tunnel from the Football League and Premier League on their decisions on promotion and relegation. And if we have no positions, because it's been called null and void, then we might shoot ourselves in the foot before we actually know what happens higher up. One of the things which has come out this week, uh,
0: Simon, is the, uh, the supposedly leaked um, voice call from Alex Rodman of Bristol Rovers, uh, where they're talking about the amount of testing that would be required Um you know, the idea of playing behind closed doors, the fact that there seems to be wealth before health is a bit of a mantra going around at the higher levels of the game. One of the phrases we keep hearing about is optics. You're clearly in the not. You're not just the manager of the club, but you're involved in much higher level decisions at Harrogate Town. How much are you looking at this and thinking, well, actually, we are a community club. We've got to put the community first. Um, how much does that impact your decision making around what you should be doing football wise?
4: Well. I mean, a hundred percent. Don't think that that we should be playing football right now. And that's you know, as far back as the Solihull game, already mentioned, the the players and their families remaining safe, and our fans have to be paramount in any decision making. Um, we've just, it's that balance, isn't it? You know, you you want to the season to come to a conclusion in a fair way for everyone involved. However. If it's not safe to play, then it shouldn't. The game of football shouldn't be played until it is safe. Now they might be able to do it in an environment that's created in the top level of the game in the Premier League, where they shut players away uh, in isolation, and that covers the um, the period before you know anyone even could pick up something. So that and they're tested and they make make sure that in that small environment they're all safe to play, then they probably will try and play it because of the money it's taken at the highest level. But, you know, just reading the Telegraph this morning, it, it suggests that they need 14 votes to get that through. If they do at the top level, that might just work well for us because it might just filter down the promotions. And, and with regard to that leaked um, uh, uh, voice from Alex Rodman, allegedly, the other day, um, then promoting by... Sporting merit might just come off, but, but the catalyst needs to be from the top level. Uh, because you know, there's this promotion relegation, the relegated teams from the, the Premier League would make room for promotion from for the likes of locally leads, and um, and then perhaps there's no relegation throughout the system, and they're just promotions, but which would be a good conclusion in my mind. One, because it. We've got a chance then if there's fixed positions and we're second, but also you're rewarding success rather than failure, um, and there's a freshness about all leagues.
1: I know. Um, I was reading this morning in the non-league paper that you you have voted for the playoffs to take place. I've read a lot from managers saying who are in the playoff positions to say they'd be happy for the playoffs to take place. Obviously, when it's safe. Um, but would you would you advocate it to, to take place? in their own grounds, but behind closed doors. I've also seen a suggestion where you go to St. George's park and just play mm. it all. there as a little tournament. I mean, what would you advocate if they did go ahead and you said it's behind closed doors?
4: Well, I, yeah, I normally say, um, don't play football unless the fans are there. Um, because it's just so flat and, and also it just doesn't feel right. Does it? But to conclude the season, to get clarity about moving forward. Yeah. I'd, I'd however way it was safe um, to do so at St George's Park or wherever where you shut players down for a week um, and away from everyone um, then fine I'd be fine for that Um, and that's why we voted for the playoffs, maybe to kick the can down the road a little bit until there's a bit more clarity higher up but um, to give us a chance that all's not lost on the football in front but I'll just be clear about it that health comes first, you know and we have to. If the Premier League can do it, and then we learn from them uh, that we, c- we can do it over a week or two weeks maximum, then of course you have to look at the costs and everything. But just, I'm sure we can learn from 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 them, at the, uh, you know, those at the top level. Um, if we can't do it, we can't do it. But at least let's deliberate when there's more information out there and how it can be accomplished.
1: Alternatively, there's a vote as well, isn't there? I mean, there's an argument to say. Barrow automatically go up and then they vote a second team up as well which would be yourself in second and you know if the playoffs don't happen it's kind of all up in the air a little bit but is that something you'd advocate as well I know it'd be to your advantage but would you be happy for the clubs to maybe vote you both you and Barrow up
4: well um, um what would be the vote against that what what, what would you, are you suggesting that
1: um well no I mean in terms of if the playoffs can't take place that they basically just say right it goes to a vote and because Barry aren't there you automatically mm. put Barrow up and then because they want to keep the two going up for the national league that they automatically send second place up as well
4: yeah i mean just just looking at it if you look at the league tables if they did promote and not relegate from league 1 league 2 you know in the championship three would go up from league 2 mm. and it would leave them you know with spaces in that league now if if we can retain the integrity of our link with the of our standing in the game in terms of our league and league two, the link there, then of course we'd be delighted to make up that, you know, that, that gap in teams that, uh, and, and the numbers there. And we'd think that, but we do think that, you know, we would have liked the, the vote on points per game or rankings to have been taken place already prior to a playoff vote, um, because I think there's a little bit of, um, uncertainty amongst teams and managers now um, thinking, well, what's what lies ahead of us you know, after this playoff film?
3: Simon, is this your most challenging time as a football manager? Um, and, and one of the reasons, just to give that some perspective, not only do you have this whole scenario about how and when and in what way the season ends, but also how on earth do you plan for next season, not knowing what division you'll be in, especially given the potential infrastructure changes you, you, you'd have to make for promotion, um, not least of all the pitch?
4: It, well, it, yeah, it's, uh, it could be easier. Let's put it that way. Um, it's, there's a lot to do, but for, we, we have kept up with communication level to the EFL. You know, Rick Parry just only emailed the chairman um, last week and said, you know, don't worry, we, we've, we've already sent you an email saying you're, you are working towards you know, the criteria that uh, and requirements that, that are necessary to make that step. Work has uh, started on our family stand to increase the capacity and the seated area as well to get up to 500 seats, which is, which um, uh, which is which is sorry, 2,000 seats in a 5,000 um, capacity ground, which is necessary. And then the floodlights as well um, are improving. Everything will be met. Obviously, the pitch has to be rolled up quickly. Um but that can be achieved, you know, as soon as we get clarity. But in terms of the player re- recruitment and everything, um we've got a, a solid squad that there's only three players out of contract, which is you know, it, it, we're probably rare in that in that way that in that, that we secure them, um the vast majority of them, you know, already. Um which isn't easy, you know, in, in lockdown and and moving further ahead when we don't know when we're going to play football next. Um, but at least it does secure,
2: you know, the wages of players. Simon, you, you've you've already mentioned him a couple of times. And, and in terms of um, Harrogate Town, it, it's very difficult to separate yourself from, um, you know, the fact that you, you, your father's involved in the club as, as chairman as well. I mean, it's interesting that you, you said early on about, you know, putting pitch covers on and things like that, it's clearly a very, been a very hands-on role as well. But um, how challenging has that been, having um, your, your father as the chairman and, and, and you've, you had to sort of develop a thick skin over that time to, to some of the criticism that's that that's brought perhaps? Yeah, I, I think all managers have to get a thick skin, a rhino
4: skin, if you like, you know, um, yeah, and over a period of time. The, obviously, the angle, there's an angle on most managers. <laughs> you know, um, but there's a very obvious angle in this case um, because it's a father-son relationship, you know. And there's there's plenty of painter and decorator father and sons that, that go past, drive past you in a van and um, mm. they don't get too much stick. But in terms of the football arena, you, you're there to be shot at. I understand because a football manager is a, a really good job. Fortunately, in my case, I was appointed under Bill Fotherby, the the previous chairman. And after two years, uh, his his time had come to an end, but he could, my dad could see the passion I'd shown and the improvement on the pitch was there for people to see. And he thought, you know what, I'll back him, you know, and uh, no matter who it is, whether it's me or the guy down the road, you're in the ring as a manager and you're under pressure. And uh, what he's he's done is say, go on then, you can stay in the ring. Uh, but you have to get up every time you get knocked down and have a disappointment you have to you have to problem solve and you have to get better. Neither of us are arrogant you know we 're trying to go under the radar um not to avoid criticism it 's just the, our manners you know and uh, the way we the way we are we just um we 're very driven um, but we 're not flash and uh but yeah of course. Of course, sometimes you hear chance, You're not going. I'm not in denial. You hear chance, are you're only here. Or you're going to get sacked in the morning. And you know, I I don't normally go on Twitter, especially after games. But with the unveiling of the of the pit of the new of the new stand, sorry, the other day, I thought you know I might get some words of um, oh, joy, you know, because people aren't seeing football in the local area. And I have to say, I just went onto some one reaction was all. Oh, how come they're doing that Well, the chairman has to do that to deliver promotion? You know, if we go up and 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 who's the uh, and who's the manager? Well, it's the manager's son. Well, he's not going to get the sack, then is he? This other guy tweeted, and I was so tempted the first time ever to react and go, "Well, not likely when we're second in the league." Yeah, <laughs> you know, I look at the table, pal, but, uh, yeah. but you know, I refrained from doing that, and I haven't done it in eleven years. Reacted, but I thought. Uh, yeah, it, it might. Um, it does pose a pose an issue in that with that sense that you're always going to get that. But as a manager, you have to be able to talk to players, relate to them, earn their respect in order to get the thing moving forward, and uh, and deal with other managers and deal with everything um, that a manager does, and also uh, be be quite hands on and and have a, a seat in all the management meetings and the club moving forward. So. It's full on, but I'm up for proving myself, that's for sure.
2: Sure, I, I mean, you, you've clearly had a strong relationship with your dad before for him to, to give you that back in. Is it is he strengthened it over the time? Yeah, I, I, well, I have to say we've always got
4: on, you know, and I, I respect him on every level, you know, and I'm missing him in this lockdown, not, you know, get, not being able to sit in my mum and dad's lounge and just have a, a beer and just chat about, my kids as much as football um but he's a really really good man you know and he, he cares so much about us all you know my uh, my brother and sister have been supported in in whatever way uh, that's been needed as, as well in their lives and he's here for us and and i'll be here for my kids you know and, and try and support them as much as i possibly can you know so it's it's given me strength to be able to express myself and to be able to learn uh, throughout and of course, you know there's been some dicey points. We, you know, we're three nil down at, at Boston once, and we'd lost the previous four games. And I'm looking up, I'm going, I don't want this to be untenable. Anyway, we drew the game, and it, it was the most emotion I've, I've ever felt. And, and, and uh, seeing him after a game in front of my dad, because I just thought, I don't want to push him, and I don't want to to see his face draining, you know, his confidence draining. But he's back me, you know, and. He has confidence in me and he, he knows I'm gritty and he knows that uh, I'll problem solve. Um, and he knows I'm on it, you know. So, um, uh, hopefully we'll keep going from strength to strength and, um, we'll keep pushing for promotion at the next level if we can go up. This is a message from the government and the NHS
5: about how to protect yourself and others from coronavirus. Wash your hands more often than usual for 20 seconds each time. Use soap and water or a hand sanitizer when you get home or arrive at work, when you blow your nose, sneeze or cough, and when you eat or handle food. For more information, go to nhs.uk forward slash coronavirus. Protect yourself and others. Simon, um, one of those uh, successful moments came a couple of years ago. It was almost a couple of years to the day, I think maybe, uh, maybe in a week or two. And I spoke to you at the end of the uh, the playoff final when you beat Brackley three nil, and you were you were walking on air, you were walking on top of the stand when, when I spoke yeah. with with pride that day. I think it's probably one step too far for Brackley that day; they just uh, sort of ran out of steam. But mm. you really, really played them off the park. I mean, in terms of your career achievements, that must uh, that must rank really high.
4: Oh, it, it was just that whole that whole day was just a, a complete buzz, and it, it was something that you think, yeah, well, that's why we covered the pitch up with you know with sheets, you know, on a, a horrible December night. That's why we've you know grafted and grafted to get to this point, and it was all worth it because not least because you know being under the uh, the, the promotion playoff uh, cup. Uh, by my own dad, the chairman, and, and the, the, the feel good factor amongst the players. But our staff, I've got Paul Thurwell, my assistant manager, you know, and Phil Priestley, the goalkeeper coach. We've, we've been together some time now and we're, we're close. You know, when you mentioned Rachel, the physio there, just really are close. And I think, um, you can only get those close relationships if there's trust in the building and, and you're working towards a common goal.
1: You've mentioned obviously, uh, about, You've been at Harrogate now for a while, you're quite comfortable there. I mean, would he, what would tempt you to maybe go to another club, you know, and, and how high would you want to go? Because obviously Harrogate are ambitious at the minute. Would it Would it take someone like, I know you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan and you were there as a kid. Would it take somebody like that to come in and really rip you away from Harrogate?
6: Well,
4: I do think, we, I, I, I think we're on the cusp here of, of doing something really special. You know, uh, a double promotion would just be great. And uh, I mean, special for us um, and, and the feel good factor amongst the Harrogate people. So we built up their trust that we're not just going to just make a snap decision. I'm not just going to make a snap decision and go, right, I'll leave all that behind. Um, I need to I, I need to find out what we like as a community at the next level. You know, and uh, mm. uh, are the crowd going to grow? Are they going to? Is it going to go stale? You know, or is it going to think, yeah, we're really behind this now, and grow to three thousand, then five thousand, and so if it works in tandem with growing support, and we can get uh, and we can do a complete it by going right, we've done an Accrington, we've gone up again, mm. um, and the crowd have swelled in the numbers, then. Then I wouldn't have to, you know, start thinking about anything else. Mm. And, and who knows? There's other clubs, there's other examples, but you don't have to be like anyone else. You know, you can have old school uh, values and run on a, a slim down squad and push them and cajole them. And with a great assistant with me, we can, I believe, develop players and, and keep on proving. We can. Who knows where we can end up? Um, so there would be a lot to consider, but I, you can never say never in football. No. You can never say never, and um, I'm glad you've asked me that question. In a way, it's a really difficult one to mm. to answer. Yeah, but and I don't want, want to get people. Yeah. I don't want
1: people thinking. Oh, he's trying to. He's trying to get Simon to trip up or, or say you want to no, go somewhere. No. But it is it is something that is maybe thought. And like you say, if you think Harrogate can get up to League One, then there's no
4: reason for you to leave, is there? No, no, because there are big clubs. You know, I mean, Sheffield Wednesday have been down to League One, mm. and it, it's it's been a hard track back to the Championship. Mm. Um, but but we, we have to wait and see. We have to judge it as we see it and think. I hope it doesn't reach a ceiling where oh, we can't keep pushing on now because the last thing I'd want to do, especially with fo- um, family, business, money involved in the running of the club, is to get to a point um mm-hmm. fans' numbers dwindle, and you you're just treading what and you're not pushing on um and then there might be a decision to be made, but uh that you you know, you've 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 reached as, as far as you can do with this club now, hopefully that won't happen, mm. and hopefully we can keep going from strength to strength, but I would like to point out I'm as ambitious as the next guy, you know I might not say it in every newspaper in every oh. uh, uh, podcast area, but I certainly am ambitious and the right age to to hopefully lift Harrogate Town.
1: Yeah, I don't know what you guys think. I mean, sometimes when I've seen managers who've done really well at clubs and then they've almost jumped at the first opportunity, haven't they? And sometimes you just think they've got to sit back, assess their options and see what's on the horizon. And and you see them go up a couple of levels, it doesn't work out and then they're out of a job all of a sudden. And it's sad in a way, isn't it? and you can compare it to someone like the
0: Cowleys, for example they look like people who managed that progression very sensibly all the way through but yeah i mean i think the the success stories in terms of the managers who seem to ju- make those judgement leaps very well seem to be outnumbered by the uh those who
4: take the step and don't quite i know i know you can you could easily easily make a step and, and go right that well that's a that's a good club and then um but have you done enough work on what's the feel like in the club you know what what do they want you know for, for the next five years is it something to to build with or, or you're just leaving something really good behind to go somewhere for six months and then you bang you've gone um and you're starting again at you know at 42 and um like i say it's a, it's a good question
1: it's interesting you mentioned about Accrington because John Coleman, he had so much success at Accrington. I mm. think he went to Rochdale, then Southport, and it didn't quite work. And He's gone back to Accrington and found success again. And sometimes a manager in a club can fit like a glove in a way, can't he?
4: Mm. Well, you look at Nigel Clough as well and, mm. and what happened there. And um, I know Nigel, I haven't spoken to him for quite some time, but just admired the job he did right from the early days at Burton. and You could see his signings each summer, just a couple, or two or three at a time, and he just built up a squad and, and we've looked at that model and we've looked at, let's say, John Coleman, the job is done there at Accrington on, um, uh, you know, really, really tight budgets, but a real good feel factor. You know, and uh, it can be done.
3: just talk to you about a couple of individual uh, players in your squad, um, if we can, Simon. I know I know, Tom wants to bring up uh, Brendan Kiernan. Um, The lads will know who I'm going to bring up. Uh, (laughs) We've had a bit of an ongoing joke about it through the podcast this season. Um,
1: Is it St Neots' finest, Rob?
3: (laughs) Yeah, it is. Connor Hall, he's from my neck of the woods. He's a St Neots lad, like myself. Um, I have bumped into him a couple of occasions. The lads have accused me of stalking him, but uh, (laughs) um, he's done really, really well, hasn't he? I've watched his career progress when he was playing at, uh, like I think, St Neots, Bigglesway Town, Berry. Mm Um, how, how did he first come under your radar? Was it when he was at Brackley?
4: Yes, actually, his agent, um, his agent, the agents work in these ways these days. They, they, they send videos out to, to managers on WhatsApps and just got hold of this video and I thought, left footed, six foot three, four, um, very smooth and passed it well, headed it well. So we went to watch him almost immediately um and they played at Chorley I thought well let's see what he's like away from home um against quite a strong ch- ch- Chorley ch- team at the time mm-hmm. and um and he, he battled hard and he did well and yet he wanted the ball he split and played he, he traveled forward with the ball and I thought well yeah he's not short in any department for as far as we could see so we watched him for the the remainder of that season, and then we we made our approach, and then I travelled down to your neck of the woods, then Robin, and had a chat with him in a in a Starbucks, and and he he, he turned up, and um and you weren't there, so you weren't
3: stuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was but outside, Simon. Yeah, yeah,
4: well, yeah, but you could see why you might be, because he, he walked in in slick back hair and um ordered a drink, and and all the girls in his Starbucks started gazing over at him. So I was like, come and sit here, see if it happens to me. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but it didn't. It's, uh, no, it, it, you were
0: thinking uh, shirt sales at that point, weren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah, we, we, In my position, you've got to think of merchandise as well as just being a good thing. So, um, no, it, it's been a great signing for us, yeah. Um, another, another signing I wanted to ask you about. Um, obviously, at non-league
0: level, we typically see players stay in their local area, and, um, the money isn't quite what it is at the Premier League, tempting people to move all across the country. Um, and a, a look through your signings as Harrogate manager shows you've only signed from the South on three occasions. Um, I think is it Brian, Dut- Brian Dutton, who's a oh, Yorkshireman, yeah. Chip Chilacca, who's from Leicester originally. Um, but this summer you signed uh, Brendan Kiernan, a man who's never played north of Milton Keynes before. What goes into the scouting process um, when you're identifying someone from out of your local area? And also, how do you actually convince a player to make that move away from, you know, Brendan Kiernan's a London lad, he's never lived outside London before. How do you go about persuading a player to join your project?
4: Well, obviously, you've already said it, we haven't done it too many times because it is a a mammoth decision in a young man's life, isn't it, to move up and... It's quite different, Harrogate from uh, London, um, as you can imagine. And uh, <laughs> but I, I we'd seen the coverage on the Scout Seven platform that all managers at this level get uh, uh, get given for free, and so you see all the uh, all the matches. But we got recommended in by an agent again, and um, and clips and the videos. I mean, they're never going to send clips of the the ball that slips under the feet or when they're miscontrolled, it's <laughs> they? On his chances. So, he looked a world beater, but, um, so I thought, well, we've got to watch him. We've got to get a scout down there. And there's, we've got a southern, um, base scout. He followed it up and said, yeah, we like him. I said, what's he like, you know, out of possession? We know he's got the tricks and he, he, he's good going forward. Oh, he's a worker. So then I sat down and, and watched the games on the scout side of platform and, I thought, yeah, out of possession, he gets in narrow, he works hard, he's, he's, he could be one of us, let's go and meet him. So I met him at the end of the season with his agent as well, and, um, Peterborough Services, and, and he came across and straight away, sometimes you just know within a minute, don't you? You know, we think, yeah, there's something there, a big smile, waved, came across, and just a lovely, down to earth guy, and I thought, you'll, you'll, you'll fit, fit in perfectly with the group, and, um, I offered him at the end of that conversation, you know, a, a deal. Um, his agent then said no, uh, and then we came back again. And, uh, <laughs> came back again, and he, he was just, I said, What, I, I asked him that question. I said, What do you think? You know, with your accent, you know, how are you going to mix up here? You know, how are you going to deal with it? Um, and he, he loved it because he said he, he moved up, he found this little place. And he said, my next door neighbour actually talks to me. <laughs> Morning, love. you know." And, and I said, I don't get that down there. So um, he's, he's actually settled in really well.
0: We've had a great season on the pitch as well. I mean, um, I watched him a few times at Hampton and Richmond Borough, or at Welling, uh, down in National League South. And he always looked like a player who could make that step up. Mm. Um, and obviously having the 3G pitch is perfect for his playing
4: style as well. Yes, it is, and yeah, we've we've looked at that, you know, uh, players that can fit into our style of play, and we've played some, we have played some really good football, and um, and to be able to get players like Brendan on one side, like said George Thompson on the other, Jack Diamond, who we got on, in on loan from Sunderland, on the ball, they're, they're exciting to watch, um, so you know he's he's, he's pitched in massively f- uh, for the club, and he's also played up front on, on the odd occasion, but yeah, he. Um, is is easy to manage, and is a dedicated lad.
2: Simon, I'm going to uh, perhaps go with a, a bit of a double question here because I think what you've said has just um, touched again on the, on the, the the 3G pitch. I mean, how much has that um, perhaps influenced your um, your style, or, or was it that you felt that the 3G pitch would suit the style that you already played? Also. Coming back to the signings as well, I mean, you, we've obviously just mentioned Connor Hall there and Brendan Kiernan. Who do you think's your most influential signing over the, the the time you've been at Harrigan?
4: Oh, a real tough one. I hope the players don't listen to this because uh, I can only please one. Um, I think because he's captain and because he's overseen that uh, transition, um, when he came, we became full time, they uh, grew into it. Josh Falconham has been. Brilliant for us. Mm. He's a player that other, uh, you know, our opponents love to hate. Um, but he, um, has really, really helped us play the way we do. So he'll collect the ball from uh, the defenders when they split, or he'll get it from the throwing and set it back, and he'll get it again, and he'll switch play. And, uh, but he'll also get in people's faces. He'll be vocal. He'll be vocal in the changing, and he's completely positive and a winner. And so that in, that personifies what we want. Um, but he's a nice lad. So he's fixing up all the community, um, uh, school visits with the players. He puts demands on them there. And, and he's, but he's a kind lad at the heart of it as well. So he's, he's the perfect mix for us. So he's been a great signing for us. And with regards to the pitch, yes, it has helped us continue and build on what we'd had before in, in playing our system and way of playing um, we've not reinvented the wheel but we we have scored a lot of goals in the last few years from playing our way and it's a bit old school you know we've got flying wingers uh, we've got full backs bombing on we've got two up front and we're not ashamed to say it but the, the Wymen have a freedom to come across the park as well in their half and, and play and um, the three G's enabled us to have some consistency, you know, on the roll. Um, and before we hadn't achieved that with the pitch that we previously had. Um, we had a big slope. We re- leveled it. We re-turfed it. And then we had the worst summer of rainfall in the history of Harrogate, I think. And and so the roots didn't grow deep enough to be able to absorb the water and, and, and um, well, and to have a flow off it for, for drain, drainage. So it made it really hard to, so, we kept coming up to the end of September and thinking, we'll be all right this season as long as it doesn't rain, you know, and then we'll be, we'll keep being able to play football until it rains. Then after that, we had to be a bit more direct. Um, so it was very difficult, but at least at home, we banged in a lot of goals just because we played the same way every, every week.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, and your away record, you know, it certainly more than strongly suggests that it's, you know, you're not just... You know, flat track bullies on your own surface. You know that you can go and do it away from home as well.
4: Well, yeah, definitely. And um, going back to to Josh, um, we're we're not. He's by no means. He's probably the smallest centre midfielder at our level, but with the biggest heart. And um, I might be biased towards him, but I just uh, he's been immense for us. And then we've got Lloyd Kerry in there as well, mm-hmm. the former Tamworth player. who's 30 now, but he's five six. And so we've not been about being bully boys at all, but we're competitive, you know, and we, we punch above our weight. Just before
1: we start the pod, Rob caught up with Phil Annets, who's been on this podcast a couple of times, and he's doing a, an FA Cup Memories blog at the minute. It should be the FA Cup final in the next couple of weeks. It isn't, but here's Phil, who told Rob a lot more about it. <laughs>
3: It's great in these uh, challenging times to be able to focus on something new and fresh and a great idea that uh, a friend of the podcast, Phil Annitz, has had. Most of you will know Phil or have heard of him as uh, Mr. FA Cup Fact File, the place to go to if you ever want to check any stats or find out anything about any team in the FA Cup. I'm glad to say that Phil joins me now on the phone. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Rob. How are you doing? Yeah, really, really well. Um, I've got a day off, one in sort of 20-odd at the moment and uh, it's been a lovely relaxed start to my day and uh, I've been immersing myself uh, in football memories uh, mainly thanks to your, your invite to take part in uh, a little idea you've had as we, as we hit May and we uh, approach uh, what would have been the uh, FA Cup final soon. Just tell the listeners a little bit about your uh, idea on uh, FA Cup memories.
6: Uh, Yeah, okay, well, yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, FA Cup members. It was was an idea I had about uh, trying to keep the memory of the FA Cup alive in these uh, times of non-football to make sure that uh, people were still aware of the competition and the fact that the competition should have uh, come to a conclusion on the 23rd of May. Uh, I wanted to do something that would build up to that. And the idea I had was uh, to look at Uh, people's uh, memories of the FA Cup, uh, both uh, those from way back, but also more recent times as well. And also to to get a view of of their thoughts on the future of the competition. And I I didn't want to just limit it to a certain group of people, friends or or relatives or even uh, people who were uh, significant in the world of football. I wanted to get a a full spectrum of thoughts and uh, memories. Um, The FA Cup is is loved far and wide across this country and beyond, and it's amazing the feedback I've had and the fantastic memories that have
3: already started to play. Yeah, it's brilliant stuff. I um, woke up this morning, one of the first things I wanted to do was actually click on those uh, blogs from the first couple of days, and uh, you kicked off with uh, no less than, uh, well, for for me anyway, BBC Sports top uh, commentator, uh, John Murray. Yeah, he's incomparable, I would say. He's a a voice of the BBC
6: commentary, a fantastic advocate of the FA Cup, and and it was wonderful to have John on board as the person to kick off the FA Cup Memories
3: uh, series. Um, I don't think I could have started off in a better place. No, totally agree. Good follow-up on the 2nd of May as well with Mark Carruthers, who was a guest on our podcast uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, I've I'm, been I'm, I'm very, very excited to, to to send over my memories to you. Hopefully, they'll make it soon. You've got quite a few in the bank, I hear, and uh, you're hoping to at least take this through May until the date that the uh, FA Cup final would be played.
6: Yeah, I think that's, that was the plan. I've definitely got uh, more than 20 contributors. Uh, signed up. Obviously, some are a bit slower at getting their memories due to me than others, but I'm certain that they all will, will do so. Um, yeah, Mark was fantastic to have on board, a great example of uh, someone who's passionate about a game, but based in one particular area of the country, in the North East. Um, and then today's um, wonderful to have Chris Waddle on board, a former um, England international and player of the year and uh, someone who who lit up the game wherever he played so uh, another example of a perfect person to have is FA Cup memories and and amazingly his memories and uh, he he asked him what his favourite memory was, it wasn't anything to do with playing in the FA Cup, it was all about what he remembered as a kid uh, when the FA Cup first hit him so it's fantastic to know that he, he was looking at the FA Cup through the eyes of a supporter rather than someone who had played in the tournament. And, yeah, yeah, we should have a good spectrum of, uh, of people um, across the board all the way through to the 23rd of May when the FA Cup would have been played.
3: Fantastic. Two final questions, Phil. Uh, firstly, uh, remind our, our listeners where they can uh, see your stuff.
6: Okay, we well, can follow me on Twitter on at FA Cup Fact File, where I've also created the hashtag uh, FA Cup Memories, and I'm uh, – Producing daily the memories on my uh, FA Cup Fatfile blog, which is WordPress at uh, FA Cup Fatfile, File. Um, but you can find out, obviously, if you, if you go into my uh, Twitter feed.
3: And a final question. I'm going to turn the tables on you here with no preparation whatsoever. <laughs> you, you, your, your brain is a minefield of FA Cup history. But for you personally, you know, maybe it was a, a first memory or maybe it was a, a game that you're at. But what's your top FA Cup memory?
6: Uh, this, this will surprise people when I tell them what my favourite memory is because even though um, I have fantastic memories of following Africa as a kid Is actually a memory from about three or four years ago when I went to visit Hook Norton FC for an FA Cup game. They were hosting their biggest ever FA Cup game against Western Mayor, And I arrived in the bar and uh, I was looking for a team sheet. So I saw an elderly gentleman in the bar and I just asked him if he knew where there was a team sheet and said, oh, I can, I can do something slightly better for you. And he produced a little whiteboard with the names of the, the players on. Uh, from which I just took a photograph mm-hmm. and then when I uh, thanked him for allowing me to take that photo of him with the whiteboard I asked him who he was and what his uh, role was in the, in the club and he turned out he was the chairman of uh, Hook Norton SC and I just thought that was a fantastic uh, memory to have of someone who so passionately involved in the club that he was to just light up the team sheet as well sort of thing you wouldn't necessarily get if you went to a much bigger club uh, in later on in the competition Brilliant
3: stuff Bill, thank you so much uh, for joining us again on the NL full time podcast and uh, we look forward to having you on, uh, on again when the uh, FA Cup gets itself back underway again Brilliant. Thanks
1: Bill, great to talk to you as always Simon just give us um, um, just have a think about your favourite FA Cup memory as a player
4: or manager Yeah um, it's probably when, quite a few years ago, we at Harrogate Town, we we travelled down to Torquay and um, Torquay United, and we, we we managed to beat them one nil. And they were very decently two team at the time. And um, I mean, if I saw the coverage now, I'd probably think, Phew, "How did we get through it and uh, without conceding?" But um, it was just one of those days that really worked out for us, and we were we were a compet- you know, good competitive um, uh, Conference North team at the time, um, but just to get that win was just massive for us, you know, and in establishing ourselves as as a unit, both you know my dad and I working together, but um, but also raising the profile of the club in the area. That was pretty. That was pretty good. For, myself as a player, we beat Brighton, who we were in League One when I was at Lincoln, and it was it was a great day. Good stuff. Good stuff.
3: Was that Torquay game? in the year that you got Harrogate to the second round yeah. 2012
4: mm-hmm. 13 That's right yeah it was a really good run actually we played on the Thursday night um yeah before the Saturday game at Torquay uh, playmore and um it went to extra time on a muddy pitch and we couldn't even play on our pitch it was that bad so we had to play at Harrogate Railways ground and that's a, that was an even bigger slope and so we came through um extra time and beat Hyde, and then went down to uh, uh, Torquay um, the following following night, and uh, yeah, won the cup game. So it was it was a great week, um, and it was um, a fantastic effort by the players at the time. Do I remember that because
1: at the time, Hyde were in the division higher,
4: and uh, it was yeah. a
1: horrible game. One game had been called off oh. about four, four times, I think.
4: I know. Well, we had nine games called off that season at home. And so we ended up playing Harrogate Rail, at Harrogate Railways Ground, um, at Bootham Crescent at York and at Doncaster Overs, uh, New Ground, um, uh, so it was, we were all over the place, you know, uh, just to get games on, you know, and we're pulling the sheets at the, across the pitch on Friday nights, uh, with the old groundsman and, and myself, um, and my dad just pulling old plastic sheets just to try and, you know, keep the rain off the, off the track and then come in Saturday morning and be called off anyway, so, um, it was a very tough time.
1: <laughs> now you've got the 3G pitch, so that's all good. But uh, yeah.
4: yeah. Yeah, well, that's one. That's another benefit of it. That you know that um, no matter what weather, um, it's been it's been called on all the games. So um, we've been quite quite glib about it. You know, when others have been off, and we've taken a lot of stick about having a 3G pitch, but it's really worked out in our favour. Yeah.
1: So the news broke on a Wednesday evening that Ian Herring had resigned his post as manager of Hungerford Town and he joins me on the line now. Hello, Ian. Hi, Luke. So, Ian, obviously you've had, uh, you've had a good few years at Hungerford as a player and a manager. How hard a decision was this for you?
7: Um, yeah, obviously it was extremely difficult. Um, I think I first come to the club in 2012 um so initially I, uh, as a player like you're saying i've got Bobby Wilkinson and the old chairman Nigel Warwick to thank for that um i've i've uh, since been given sole charge by Nigel warwick i've um worked under three chairmen now and um and the the job has always been extremely difficult extremely challenging but at the same time extremely re- rewarding. um I always knew what I was letting myself in for. Um, when I agreed to commit to the job and um and Hungerford holds a special place in my heart, not just because of um on the pitch um, mainly because of the people and the relationships i 've made off of it and around the club and and with supporters that that are like friends really so it wasn 't um a decision that was taken lightly there 's a lot of thought gone into it um so yes yeah, it's, it's sad um disappointing and, and essentially it's a decision i didn't want to have to make to be totally honest
1: yeah the statement that you've put out on twitter today you, you said you offered a short-term plan to provide a professional and safe playing environment for players but you'd end up having a budget of, of nothing really i mean basically you'd have just been working with with kids wouldn't you yeah
7: 100 percent. um obviously um the 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 Chairman made it made it clear that the budget was going to get cut anyway before the um, coronavirus situation. Hungerford were in a, a real bad place. Um, we had fifteen players on a contract um, and, and no no money to pay for, for, for those players So the last few weeks before the season was suspended, the players were essentially pay, playing for nothing. Um, so I was I was aware that next season the the budget was going to be drastically cut and it would have been cut by more than fifty percent. So there was still there was already some thought about going into next season already. Um, so I've 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 had a long time to sort of find find myself and and how I like to work and the way and the the values principles ideals if you like that I believe in and. Um, I'm huge on on mental health and the psychological side of the game, and and I've got a firm belief and that the non-league world needs to change, especially, and offer not just players, coaches, managers, everyone at a football club. They need to offer them more support, um, and I'd I'd put I'd put a structure in place. Um, or, or sort of thought long and hard about it, about the budget, done some messing around with figures, et cetera, potential players that were, I could look at possibly signing and, and ones that we could keep. And I just thought it wasn't really feasible on the playing budget that it was going to be. So um, I, wanted to, I wanted to sort of try and change the landscape of non-league football a little bit, if you like, and, and go fully with my beliefs. Um, I'd made um, contact with a psychotherapist um, because I wanted psych- psychotherapy sessions for all players and staff, along with uh, a better player environment for the uh, for, for all players, which would have included strength and conditioning coaches, um, analysts. Because currently I do all that myself, um, but it would have also included supplements for players for before and after games, um, and and food after training, things like that pre-season trips to to really give players the most professional possible environment that essentially first and foremost that um, that that knowing that we take care of their well-being and, and treat them as people first and players second um, it was something that i believe should happen at football clubs something that i've briefly discussed before with the chairman um, so I'd done a sort of short-term plan and, and with figures that I'd done that obviously it was a skeleton budget. There, were, there was a lot of skeleton sort of figures. There was a lot of room for manoeuvre. That would have essentially meant offering the players a chance to come to Hungerford at step two to get back into the professional game. Um, and it would have meant uh, trying to attract players to play 4 nothing, actually zero, um, which I believe I could have done. In in the reputation I've got of how I develop and how I develop players and treat people, Um, but the the club if didn't see didn't see the same um, footballing model with the finances they've got, and they want to try and get players in for as cheap as possible to try and be competitive as possible with the budget they've got, Um, and for me starting all over again with from scratch the way players have been treated previously i i felt i couldn't work work in that environment again so so yeah it was a it was a hard long thought out um decision and, and it's, like i say it's one that essentially i didn't want to make
1: it it's funny cuz there's a lot of talk at the minute around football changing in general with this the current situation that we're all in and do you think a lot more players are going to a lot more clubs are going to go down that road as well where they're literally going to have players playing for petrol money and things like that
7: I'm unsure Luke um, to be totally honest I mean obviously the current situation it, 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 what we're going through there, there's uncertainty for everyone and I think it goes without saying the most important thing is there's lives at risk mm. obviously um, so that's that's fundamentally the most important thing. Um, but then, then if you look at football clubs, yeah, f- football clubs are businesses as well. But it's not just football clubs, it's, it's, and it's not just local businesses that's going to suffer. There's got global businesses that are going to come across hardship, and normal life isn't going to return to normal for a very long time. Um, will people, will clubs have, have a huge sums of disposable income to put into players? I don't know so I'm sure there will be a lot that, that are out there that will do that and and the people I feel people that have got the right um, models in place or not, the, not so much the people the clubs they've got the right models in place and they've got uh, a, a good sustainable budget I think they can reap the rewards of a club being run right because I think there's going to be a lot of players that when football does return that will be finding it hard to find um, football clubs
1: uh, what's the next project for you then I've heard managers say oh I'll be happy to drop down two or three divisions I mean is it just a case of finding a good project for you working with good young hungry players where you can be left alone to implement what you talked about earlier I,
7: I've not got no no plans the, the decision I've made wasn't made with anything else in mind um, I've kept myself I've been, I've been home for six weeks now so I've got myself as fit as I possibly can um I'm still able to play football what level that may be I don't know um so if I if I feel I want to play then then I've got the ability to still play I love football um, a few years ago I, I thought I, I I didn't love football or I was falling out of love with football but it wasn't it wasn't that um I was didn't agree with certain things that had happened and i didn't like certain people in football and but i love football i love the game i love developing players and i've actually as hard the job as it's been it's been so rewarding and i've learned so much and i've built i feel in the past two seasons to exceptionally forget league tables because it's hard when you've got players that only brand new players put together on a shoestring budget with no facilities no training pitch It takes time to build those teams and those two teams towards the end of the season have got stronger each year. So that I want to stay in football in what capacity. I don't know. Um, but do I want to drop down a level? No, I've never gone. I've never played football for finance. I've always played because I want to be at the highest level I can possibly be. That goes the same with coaching and managing. I've got. I've been released by Swindon Town as a player three separate occasions and I feel I've got unbus- unfinished business there. And one day I'd love to manage Swindon Town and if not, hire. Um, But is that going to happen next week? No, it's not, because Richie's do- Richie Wellens is doing a great job down there. But if I can manage at the same level or even higher, why not? Um, but mm. it, essentially it has to be... Somewhere that gives me the right support because that's been lacking previously.
3: You've
1: done the manager side of it. You must have the hunger now. I know you mentioned about playing, but surely, like you say, you got. I saw you when we went down a few weeks ago, and you, you got so much passion and love for the way you, you're managing. You look as though you really, you really enjoying it. You're trying to instil that respect into players about the way they talk to referees and the way they conduct themselves off the field. So, surely, if you went to a no disrespect to hunger for, but a bigger club, you know where you can have a bit more of a free reign then then surely the management will just take off from there won't it
7: i i think so i believe in myself i'd like that opportunity um but there's a lot of there's a lot of managers out of work that would like the same opportunity as well um if i've been i've been very 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 fortunate i feel to to be given an opportunity to manage Hungerford town at such a young age coming straight out of playing um i've Feel that I'm privileged to be able to manage Hungerford and, and I was given that privilege by Nigel Warwick, the previous chairman. I'm very thankful to him for that and thankful to the two, cha- two chairmen since to allow me to continue. Um, I've been extremely fortunate because if, if, if we're honest, Hungerford is supposed to go down every single season. So pressure, pressure can do funny things to people and there's different types of pressure um and i've not been under pressure as such to win games of football so it's enabled me to learn on the job um trial and error if you like and and really find myself as a coach as a manager and find what i truly believe in and i feel this last season I, i know where i'm at i know my philosophies i know how i want my teams to play I know how I want the players to be treated, and I believe I know how to get the best out of people. And that coincides with a lot of work that I've done personally with a life coach that has got to remain anonymous. Um, and, and, and yeah, so I, uh, essentially it's down to, to, to treating people right, I think, and the work we do essentially for giving players, I, I try to give a lot of players a lot of empowerment and responsibility and taking ownership. And essentially, I can't h- help them when we're out there, when they're out there. I can prepare them as best as I can. But essentially, when I'm on the sideline, I can't really do anything other than substitutions and a halftime team talk. So um, jumping up and down like a lunatic is, is, is possibly not the best thing to do. And it can have a, a huge impact on, on players players around you. So, so, yeah, something I do think a lot of, I'm mindful of. But yeah, essentially a, a new challenge to, to be able to recruit players who fit what I want to do. Um, and, and, and I believe I can flourish given the right opportunity.
1: Brill, Well, Ian, um, first of all, stay safe. Look after yourself and your family and we'll, we'll speak to you when you're, you're back in management at some stage and hopefully be at National League South level.
7: Thanks, Luke. Appreciate your time.
1: So that was Ian Herring. It wasn't I, I did speak to him when I went down then it's not a, a total surprise he has got some radical plans in place and it's almost his plans are too big for a club like Hungerford in a way isn't it
0: Yeah I mean, first off he he'll be a big big loss to the National League South um he's a great character um and he has really become synonymous with Hungerford's miraculous escapes over the last few seasons um so it, it's a shame to see him go um but yeah I I kind of can empathise with the Hungerford board based on, on what's being said there. I think we all obviously care about the mental health of our colleagues and our friends and, and the footballers that we go to watch. But for a club the size of Hungerford, I can understand why they would be wanting to spend their budget, which is quite limited on playing staff, possibly above and beyond giving a mental health uh, support network, which which doesn't exist at clubs a lot higher up the pyramid.
1: Yeah, and obviously I know we all tipped Hungerford to struggle, and that's no slight against Ian Heron. It's just the the way the club is, and it's a really small club. And also, I think he felt that he maybe taken as far as he could. He couldn't perform a miracle again for next season.
3: I think you're absolutely right, Luke, and uh, it's it's difficult. I mean, Simon talked about you know you you'd know when you're taking a club to the to the limit. I think I think even better than that, I think uh, Ian Herron had been keeping. Hungerford possibly at a level beyond their their natural limits and natural reach the other thing i picked up on on the in the interview is is just that he's a football man and he's still got his boots and he's keen to play and ian if you're listening to this podcast as i know you often do stick your boots on and play no matter the level play football as long as you possibly can because you've got plenty of years to uh add those gray hairs and stay on in management
1: (laughs) there we go Excellent. Well, Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us.
4: No, thanks very much for, for having me and um, for, for me, getting me away from the Sunday afternoon malaise. And you know, I've, I've really enjoyed <laughs> yeah. speaking to you. Thank you.
1: Thanks, guys, for for joining us. Been a great podcast once again. Yeah. Cheers, Luke.
3: Yeah.
4: Cheers, guys.
3: Cheers, cheers guys. Great to catch up. Tom. Yeah. Cheers,
1: guys. Out. Cheers. Nice one. And, uh, yes. Yeah, so don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a follow on Twitter as well at NLFullTime and email NLFullTime at gmail.com. Until then, stay safe, stay indoors, and we'll see you all very soon.